Okay, so I'll begin by just putting out there, there are, you know, there are many views of the church. Okay? Uh, there are some who believe that the church is just a building that we go to to gather. Um, I, I know growing up that was, that was the view. We're going to church. We're going to the church buildings, what they were saying. They weren't going to a group of people. Uh, some people view the church as something we do just once in a while on holidays. And as long as I know I am a Christian, I'm just supposed to live a good life out there in the world. Right? That's the emphasis. Out there in the world, then I will go to heaven. I don't need to go to church. Right? That is another view. Uh, but these are all examples of the mindset behind modern day evangelicalism in America, unfortunately. Uh, it is very worldly. It is very focused outside of the church, whether it's political, social, cultural. It's very outside, right? It's never drawn in. It's never brought in. Uh, and when I... In, in this, actually, Christ, this form of Christianity is very individualistic. Um, um, but this is not what we see in the scriptures. We, we don't see that in the scriptures. And, and so, just to t- challenge this point of view, I, I love asking questions. I love asking questions to challenge what we think in the way we were probably taught at some point, maybe by popular Christian culture or popular Christianity. So this introduction that will last for two weeks is based on four primary questions that, I, that I'm going to ask. And this is meant to challenge the popular views of the church that, we, that were founded in even, either overlooking this, what the scripture actually teaches or it is founded in the culture of our day. These questions have to do with the nature of the church. Now we know according to our standards, the church is both um, visible and invisible. I'll turn to that and I'll read that for you from the confession. It says this, The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect, that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So in other words, the invisible church is all believers across all denominations. Uh, Some people stretch those denominations a little further. Some draw draw them in a little closer. Um, Though P, maybe it's just us, but no. Uh, This is across all of the denominations. This is the invisible church. The Catholic, the true little c Catholic church. Hey, Derek, just an interjection there. If you don't mind, I don't know. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. When you think about the Catholic church, when you say what you just said right there from the book of church order, that can be confusing to people. Yeah. Really confusing. Oh, yeah. It can be confusing to me, even just thinking about it. But I think it's important to note that we don't know who the entire Catholic church is. No. Or the languages. I mean, they're yeah, that's a, it's, I think that's an important point. I sometimes wish it was in there. You know, I sometimes wish yeah, it was yeah. stated in that book. But, but we don't know. Mm. Some people get hung up on that holy Catholic 
in Apostolic Church, which is in you know the Nicene Creed, or I think it's the Nicene Creed, yeah. it's stated there. But but we don't know who the Catholic Church is, whether they're from the Roman Catholic Church, whether they're you know whether yeah. they attend the Rome. So I think that's an important point to make when you're talking about the Catholic Church, and it's a little C, not a big C. You know, there's a, a lot little of, C, yeah, a lot of things about that. But just a note, just a yeah. point that I I I struggled with that 15, 20 years ago. You know that just because the Catholic Church means everybody. You know, who are we really to? Well, we don't know who who God has chosen. So no, yeah, a, yeah, well, we don't know. Yeah, and that was a conversation I had with. Uh, I, I meet with ministers. We we try to meet every once in a while from this from New York, and we meet via Zoom. And that was the conversation. Uh, it led to that. It's like, you know, um, and, and it was in regard to baptism. Like, who, who are we going? Who do we know? Who do we know is truly believing? Even members in good standing, have fallen away from the church. Right. Good mem- uh, members who have been part of the church for 20 plus, 30 plus years fall away. And um, that's why membership to me is not you know, a thing of age. If you can consciously profess your faith, and as of right now, you're, you're, you're seeking to obey the Lord, your lifestyle is different, though not perfect. You're still sinful. You're going to be sinful. Right. Um, uh, we're totally depraved, not partially. Um, that that is not up to me to control or to say, you know, tell tell a child, no, you can't be a member. You're not, you're not 13 yet. From a young believer yeah. standpoint, yeah, understanding that we as human beings cannot, do not know, only God knows, only yeah. Christ knows, who actually is saved. You know, who yeah. is trusting in Christ and you know will go to heaven because of their faith, you know. And, and not only that, in the individual. The spirit of the person in, right. in himself. Right. And we don't, we don't know that, and that's hard. We have assurance. It just yeah. can be hard, to, especially if I'm talking about a teenager maybe that goes to Lisbon Central School, may have a tough time with that, you know, with yeah. Catholic friends or just oh, yeah. something to uh, keep in mind. Yeah, we, we don't know, and, um, and I always say, okay, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Yep. So uh, the invisible church consists of all true believers, no matter your denomination. But the question is, how do you know you're a true believer? What what are the what's the foundations? Where where are the foundations of of um, I always say the simplest form. You know, you could take them through scriptures and say this is this is the marks of a true believer or this that, and the other. But I've always found the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed most helpful. If you believe those things, right? If you believe those things, you're a believer. Okay? The, the, the basic foundations, the, the found fundamentals of the faith are, are summed up in those two creeds. Are they both in the hymnal? Both They're both in the hymnal. Okay. They're both in the hymnal. And when it was a Wednesday, I had um, uh, Bible study and prayer. And I was wrong in my uh, dating of the Apostles' Creed, and I confessed it. I confessed it at the time. I said, the, Apost- the Apostles' Creed came before the Nicene Creed. And Harley was like, didn't the Nicene Creed come before? And I said, no. Then later I checked. I said, Harley, you're right. The Nicene Creed was first in written form in 325. And the Apostles' Creed was in first written form in a letter in 390. So I was wrong. But then I turned to the Trinity Hymnal and it says, 
Actually, it was in circulation in the second century. So I was right. <laughs> so I hope Harley listens to this lesson um, later uh, can on. Can I interject again? I gotta, yeah, sure. I've got to pick on Ed a little bit. Ed, um, since Patrick Severson came here to pastor, we started reciting the Nicene Creed. And do, do, when did... I missed that growing up as a kid. We, we, did I miss something there? Do you know what I'm talking about? It seems like we didn't. I didn't know much about it until it, maybe 10, 12 it, years ago. I, I, and I know exactly because this came up on Wednesday about descended into hell. The the phrase has been left out, and some congregations refuse to even confess it because so was of it that the one phrase. So pastoral thing here that it, that it wasn't used in worship at or. I believe probably uh, from my early years, meaning when I was in high school, we said the Apostles' Creed, I think, every week. Okay. And I don't remember ever saying the Nicene Creed. Yeah. So I would say it's been more recent years. I'm, there's got to be a window in there where I don't remember it, and it would have been during Larry well, Vino's th time. That, that's going to be, ex I'm going to get into that a little okay. bit more. Okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, eventually, but uh, let's try to stay on track. We're going to, well, anyway, the, the Apostles' Creed being one of the fundamental creeds of the church Catholic, um, in modern evangelicalism, they've kind of pretty much done away with it. They, you know, most evangelical churches will say, oh, no, that's that's document of man, we're not going to use that. But we, we forget we're connected to the saints of old. Um, I think that's, that's a lot of our downfall is that. We try to disconnect ourselves from the old guys. Um, but... They're saints too. And some, I mean, some of the things they, they believe back then, you're like, whoa, that's a little weird. But uh, that phrase, descending into hell, was all, all they were saying when they said descended into hell was that he was actually dead and buried in a tomb in Hades. And he was in the, the domain, uh, the, uh, the place of death, right? Sheol, Hades. Not hell as in he was there being punished. For his sins, right? He's, is that different in the Latin, or is there a different word for you know, or what, what language? Uh, I got to get back to you on that. I'm not. I'm not really 100 sure. So, too, you know, did yeah. Christ really go to hell for three days? No. Yeah. You see, again, it's very evangelical that we would hell. Oh no, it means the same thing everywhere. You know, no, it doesn't. Even Hades doesn't mean the same thing everywhere. Sheol, you know. So, but we'll 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 uh, we'll, we'll have more time for discussion when. Um, hopefully, hopefully today I'm going to get through two questions, and then the other two next week. But um, again, uh, the church is <clears throat> the invisible church consists of all true believers, right? And if you want to know if you're part of a uh, uh, the invisible church, go through the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed specifically, and see if you believe those things, and if you're seeking to live a godly life. Um, it is. <clears throat> So the invisible church is a spiritual reality that cannot be seen. So membership, when we, we're getting into membership, has a lot to do with the visible church. And I'm going to read to you what the confession says, the second point. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under, under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion, and of their children. And there's the difference. And of their children. And is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. The house and family of God. 
out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. And we'll get into that last point eventually. So don't worry about it. I know that's going to, especially if you follow the Reformation and Martin Luther, that's going to probably throw you off a little bit. No possibility of salvation outside of the visible church. Right. That's, that's a tough one. Because we're, we're thinking very, probably American or Catholic. evangelical. Huh? Uh, yeah. That's yes. Um, yeah, we're thinking that it's Catholic. That's, Catholic. that's Roman Catholic. Oh, right. Yeah. Yep. That sounds very Roman Catholic to us. Uh, but I'll go into explaining that. But notice the word ordinary. Ordinary possibility. Right. Don't, don't forget that. So, so there is a visible expression of an invisible reality. Always, right? This is why Jesus taught us. Saying, you will know a tree by its fruits. Right? Earlier today, we, you know, the sermon talked about grace. We're not saved by anything we do. Right? The visible church has to do with not grace. It's the works part of it. It's the fruit. That's what membership is about. It's the fruit. It's what is seen. And this, uh, in the church, the visible church is the visible expression of that salvation that has been wrought by God. And now we see it. Right? It comes out. We see it. Uh, it's the fruit. Uh, if people ask me when they first come to believe, what is the first thing you should do when you become a believer? Repent. Well, yes, you repent. What's part of that? What, what, is a fruit of, what is a fruit of faith and repentance? What do you do next? Baptized. There. So the second part. Um, uh, I'm a pedo-baptist. So, um, um, they've already been baptized. Um, but you become a member. Right? If you're a new believer, you come to me. I, I, you know, say you're, um, you've been baptized in the church. You come to me. I believe. I, I have faith. Well, did you talk to your parents about that? And, you know, go through that. We go through the meeting and say, okay, now become a member. Come to the classes. We set up a meeting with you and your parents if you're a child or if, you, if you're not, um, if you're transferring. Whatever the case is, what are you seeking to do? You seek to become a member. That is, a, that, that is the visible expression of you devoting yourself, right? Both to the Lord and to his church. This, this is what you should do before any other good deed, right? Before going out, feeding the poor, going out on mission field or whatever it is, join the church. Become a member. Seek to devote yourself to both the Lord and his body in the church. But in recent decades, I would say as far back, well, probably last century or so, um, the visible church has been close to being totally ignored by much of American evangelicals, right? The visible church and the importance of membership has been downplayed for the sake of personal choice and individual freedom, right? Uh, what do I mean by that? I'm an American. Don't tell me what to do. Our culture informs how we treat the church, right? Um, but this is not found. It is not found in the scriptures at all. There has always been a visible church. Both in the old. Because recall the 
uh, people of God, we always call them the church, in the Old and the New Testament. And membership has always been a part of it. Uh, though they don't say, here are the roles for such and such. But if you look at the Old Testament, look at the Old Testament, all those lists of names, right? <laughs> the names that we hate to read through, the names that we find so burdensome, there's just evidence. They kept track of their people, Israel, right? And so what, what are we doing now for, for membership? We keep track. We keep track of those who are part of this communion. Not only so we can care for them, we pray for them, Right? But because it's, it's in the Bible. It's important. And, um, and it is in the, it's in the scriptures. Uh, many, you know, there are many interpretations. right? Many interpretations of the Bible. You have Baptists, Presbyterians, you have um, uh, Anglicans, you name it. And they all have their interpretation of church government and uh, the way we go about membership and all that. But just because there are many interpretations doesn't mean it's not important. Some people downplay membership because it's like a secondary issue. It doesn't really make or break me as a Christian. So it's not that important. It's not something for me to seek out. But since it's in the scriptures, isn't it important? We find it over and over in, in the scriptures. People, they keep track. They know their people. Uh, and they care for them. That, that's, that's all part of it. And we mutually edify one another. If we're not members, then we're not truly... We're not truly living out our calling. Right? Uh, it is biblical evidence that you love the body, and in loving the body, you love Jesus. And it is important because it is in the scripture. So I have today, well, probably just two questions. If we get to the second one, I don't know. We're running a little behind, but uh, I'll start with two questions. First one, what is the church? Can anybody give me a definition? I, I've described how it's both invisible and visible. But what is the church? Yes, that's a good answer. What, what else is it? Are you asking what is the visible or the invisible church? What, I guess to clarify. What okay, the visible. What is the visible The visible, church? yeah. Okay. What is the visible church? The visible church is a collection of human beings that have professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have repented their sins and are seeking accountability within and their children. Yep. yep. And their children. Yep. We, we include the children in the covenant. Um, that's how God has always done it. And I don't think he just changes things because there's a new covenant. But uh, that's another discussion. But So I'll, I'll give you uh, what I have here from the original Greek word. It's the ekklesia, right? When you hear about ecclesiology, that's the study of the church. Ecclesia is defined, if you were to define it uh, as a strict translation, it is the called out ones, right? And these called out ones are not only called out, they are called out to gather. It is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. Some call it a community. I don't like that term. Family, even that's a little weird. A communion is probably better. The communion of the saints, right? The gathering and the uh, the, the gathering of the communion of the saints. And now, who who calls us out of the world? Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word. In fact, the Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I think we covered that earlier. 
And we are called to gather. We're called to gather. But gather for what? You nailed it. Okay. You don't have to give out all the answers. No, it's okay. It's okay. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. This has been a topic of confusion for both individuals, uh, individual Christians, and for entire churches. You know, what is the chief end of man to enjoy God and uh, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Um, that's our individual responsibility, right? But unfortunately, evangelicalism in America, in practice, believes that we are called out to be, say, politically active, socially active, community activists. And over the years, during the week, ministry has taken priority. Right? During the week, ministry is either equally important or takes priority in some cases over the Sunday morning service. Right? The Sunday morning gathering of the saints. So activism in America is what the church is called out for. Uh, this has even been applied to, to pastors. If you've ever, uh, no, you probably have never, but I, I have told someone that, oh, I'm going to be a pastor. The first thing they think of, oh, you, you, you're going to be like an activist in the community? Or, you know, um, you're going to be a community leader and event planner for the community? Um, and, and they tag on all these responsibilities. They, they kind of expect you to be some sort of a, a mayor who gets paid a little less or a lot less than the, than the mayor. Um, and and they, they tag on all these responsibilities that they have developed by the culture. Everything except what a pastor is called to do, right? Preach, teach, administer the sacraments, and at times counseling. Now that's another issue because our culture has now made counseling the thing that pastors do. Right? I, I took a class. 80% of your job is going to be counseling. I said, whoa, when am I going to even write a sermon? When it takes me 30 hours just to write a sermon. Man. So if I do the math, that's a, about 100. It isn't going to work. No, it, it won't you work. I, you know, I'll join you guys. I'll join you guys in farming. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, so the same idea is thought of, of the church, right? We're here to be society changers, right? Um, but biblically, what are we called out for? We are gathered to worship. Not only that, we're gathered, and you might want to write this down, for mutual edification. I didn't include that in there, but mutual edification. This is where, and this is where we make distinctions. right? What we choose to do or, or to be involved with during the week as individuals is fine. right? I'm not saying we don't affect society and we don't live out our Christianity in the world. I'm not saying that at all. We're not to be hypocrites, right? Um, but politics, you know, feeding the poor, joining the military, all these things, etc. We are to do as individual Christians and we do for the glory of God. We, we are to do all things, right? Including our vocations to the glory of God. Martin Luther would explain this, right? He explained, because during that time there was this very pietistic view of um, Christians out in the world. And part of that had to do with buying relics. Part of it had to do with um, uh, making sure there's crosses on everyone's doorsteps and making sure there's crosses, symbols of crosses everywhere. Uh, and Martin Luther said of the shoemaker, what is a faithful shoemaker? What is a faithful shoemaker? Not a shoemaker who puts little crosses on the shoes, 
but a shoemaker who makes the best shoes possible. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, yeah. Best chicken sandwiches possible. That is the example of someone who is being faithful to their vocation as a Christian. Uh, and this would get rid of the, um, <laughs> the, the Christian marketing scheme that we have going on. Right? Everything's Christian. You just label something a Christian. Oh, I got to buy it because I got to support the church. You say, well, how do you support the church? You come to church. <laughs> Don't worry about whether or not you buy Christian CDs and all this and that and the other. Uh, uh, I remember I had a, uh, a Christian, hold on one second, I had a Christian dentist. Again, I'm not going to say no names or where he's from. But he wanted to rip me off. And I said, I'm not going to make a distinction. I'm not going to go to a dentist just because he says he's a Christian. I'm going to a dentist if he's a good dentist. <laughs> for, you know, for, I don't want a brain surgeon who says, oh, I'm a Christian. I know how to do brain surgery. No, I, w- I want the best brain surgeon uh, in, in the area. Right? Okay, but so, and, and this is um, the problem today uh, in that we need to make distinctions between the church, what we do as a church, what we do as members of a church, and what we do out in society, right? What we do in our vocations, what we do as farmers. Yes, sure. Is it counterintuitive that, that I'm going I'm to really mess things up here. Yeah. To, uh, to, you know, the best, if you want the best brain surgeon, but you could work with the Christian brain surgeon who's not as good. Is that selfish? No, you know, no, I don't think it's selfish. No. <laughs> intriguing, intriguing no. thought process there. But no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think it's selfish. No. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just wondered what your real thought process yeah. was there. I mean, I, I would admonish that Christian brain surgeon to get better, and uh, and, uh, and give the work to someone else. Yeah. Well, yeah. If he if he has like you know ninety deaths on the table out of a hundred, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to him. <laughs> no offense. He can even come to my church. I'm not going to. I'm sorry. Right. Um, that's. I mean, I think that's just common sense. I, yeah. You know, you use. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I admonish you, <laughs> retake that test and get really good at what you do. But well, you had a question, so. Yes, please. I was wondering <clears throat> if you could expound upon edification, just yep. kind of generally. I mean, my understanding mm-hmm. would be like encouragement, like building. Yeah. But yep. is there more to it, or is? I feel like that's a whole teaching. Whoa, right. man, one. you can go into... Isn't that the one another's? Yeah, the one another's. The, get, yeah. And these things we can do... As well as teaching. Yeah, you know, yeah teaching, yeah. Teaching. Coming to church, you, you know, and, and hearing the word, you're being edified. I think the koinonia fellowship is not yeah. just supper. No, it's not just getting together, right? No, it's actual, it's actual edification where we are learning from each other. Sharing. And, and sharing... Sharing scripture, sharing. Oh, I'm struggling with this. I don't get this, and but and, mm-hmm. okay. So here's what the Bible says about that. Exactly. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's all of those things, and um, edification could be just believers being in the same room together, worshiping God. I mean, if yeah, that really, too. If yeah. You dig into the word edifying. We could talk about edifying for the rest of the afternoon. I think. I mean, but you know, just we're commanded to be here worshiping. You know. So. Exactly, and that's, that's the point I'm going to get to, too, because, you know, with this pandemic, a lot of people have been discouraged, and, well, I haven't had time to...
be edified, you know, by, by the saints. I said, are you coming to worship? Uh, well, you know, I try and, you know, but I really would like this to keep going, like, say, Sunday school. Right? But what about the ordinary means of grace? Is that not doing? Is that not sufficient? And so, you know, edification could be anything, you know, all along those lines. We, we're edified when we come together and worship, and after worship, we're, we're talking to one another, encouraging one another. It doesn't always have to be in pious talk and, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know, you hear it often in some very charismatic circles. But, you, you know, it doesn't have to be that. It could be encouraging by, by praying for someone. Saying, I'll be praying for you. And actually do it. Right? Um, and um, it could be, you know, the, the discussions on once a month that Jesse wants to throw. Uh, it could be in other ministries that we, we have. But when ministries, like right now, what's going on, where it comes to a screeching halt... We shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't be discouraged. We have the ordinary means of grace, and we have the people of God. Still, even in the midst of a pandemic. During the plague, it wasn't that simple during the Reformation, or prior to the Reformation and leading into it. It wasn't that simple. Actually, their restrictions were far worse. Right? Ministers will tell people, stay home. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave your house. Ministers. I'm not saying that to anybody. You know, um, so it was, it was, you know, well, the plague was far worse too, but... Um, no, thank you. I just was curious what to expound on. Yeah, yeah. Edification, I mean, that... It's... It's, a big word. it's hard. To, it's just like evangelism. It's hard to say, this is the cookie-cutter way to do it. And if you don't do it, you're not really doing it. No, that's not... That's not... Uh, yeah. I, I look at discipleship as... Everything done in the pulpit is done by believers, right? Um, edification. Uh, re- rebuke, right? Well, Discipleship. Like each of us are edified. We're edified this, differently yeah. as well. Yeah. You know. a- evangelism. All of that is done in the pulpit. I, I try to write my sermons every week. I'm not with a checkbox, but saying all of this must be done from the pulpit. And from the pulpit, the people will do it. Right? That's, that's the way it goes. It goes from the word to the people, to the people to, the, to, to everyone else. And hopefully it's working, but we'll see. Um, so where did I leave off? <laughs> if I can find it. Okay, so, um, so on the Lord's Day, we do not gather for the things that we do in society. Like I said, that Horizons um, article, I recommend you reading it. If you're deciding to become a member, this is our view in the OPC Generally, I, I can't speak for every minister. Um, some ministers are more active than others. I know a minister who was very close to like this mayor out west, and he actually was a chaplain to the mayor and this, that, and the other. That, that's fine. I, nothing against that. Um, but our involvement in the church, what the church is called out to do, what we're called out as a gathering, is much different than what we do in society. Much more different than what we do in the world. Um, we gather for worship and to receive the ordinary means of grace. And that is what we do as a church. That is what we have been freed to do, right? Uh, Israel was freed from Egypt, not just for the sake of freedom. Remember, not just for the sake of freedom. They were freed from Egypt to worship. That was the end goal, was worship. That is the end goal of the church. 
to worship in every way. And I agree, I, you know, I'm against slavery, by the way. I don't, I don't agree with slavery. Slavery is bad, and I wish for everyone in the world to be free, especially since slavery is actually more common now than it was uh, 100 plus years ago. Right? I don't agree with slavery. But what is worse is to be enslaved to our own sin and idolatry. Right? Um, and unfortunately, this view of freedom has been imported into the church. Right? Uh, think of one of the passages. What is, what is that passage? The Judaizers came to spy out our freedom. And most American evangelicals will apply that text to pretty much, don't tell me what to do in the church. Right? The church is not to have order. The, the church is not. We, we, we come here and just live by the Spirit, right? Free. Right? That's, I mean, I know of a church down in uh, where I came from uh, where, you know, the pastor's preaching, and at the same time, you had someone painting a picture on this side, literally painting a picture, someone else doing interpretive dance on the other, other corner, and just people chatting while the preacher's preaching. Nobody's really listening, and everybody's saying, Well, this is what, you know, church is free. We're free in Christ. This is the freedom we share. Don't come and spy out our freedom, Judaizer. We know the problem with the Judaizers is that they were trying to impose circumcision as a sign of the covenant. We know that baptism is now the sign of the covenant. Uh, And they're trying to impose the old covenant law. We're freed from the old covenant law, not from order, not from gathering for uh, decent and acceptable worship, we live in a country that is free, and I love this country. No other country I would love, want to live in. We're free for now. But what Christians have been free to do, we have been freed to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we gather for spiritual and mutual edification. As Martin Luther said, we have been freed to be bound, right? We have been free to be bound to God and neighbor, right? If you're not bound by membership, right? More specifically, people say they're bound all the time, but they're really not. They say, you know, if you're not bound by membership, my question is have you really been freed? Have you really been freed? Uh, That is always the question. The church is a gathering of those who have been called out of the world to worship. If you don't gather with the church, then you didn't go to church. Um, That is my conviction. Uh, Virtual church these days, like what we see um, now uh, going on on laptops, uh, tablets, TVs, phones, whatever you choose to use. It has been helpful, especially during the pandemic, to get the word of God out. Uh, to people, but it hasn't been helpful in a way because it is misleading people into thinking that they were at church when they weren't, right? Or that watching it is just as good as gathering, or that we are actually doing God's will when we're not. I understand that when we worship individually, we are worshiping in spirit with all of the saints, but we miss the fact that God has called us to physically gather. Because that is what is going to happen. He's trying to teach us this is what's going to happen at the end of the age. 
The end of the age is not just me and Jesus. The end of the age is a big gathering. It is a gathering of the saints. It's me, Jesus, and the people of God. If you don't want to be a member of the people of God now, it's not showing me much evidence that you want to be with the people of God eternally. You can't do church at home on your couch because church is a gathering of God's people together in the same place. As the author of Hebrews warns and encourages us, in light of what Christ has done for us, right? He says us, his church, not what he has done for me. What Christ has done for us, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So right there you see, love God and love neighbor. Where? In the church. In the gathering. Us, right? Um, And I argue, not everybody argues this, but those who fell away in Hebrews 6, And my former pastor uh, made me think about this uh, very clearly. And he gave me the book, um, Word, Water, Spirit by J.V. Fesco. Uh, I recommend every member read that if you have the time. It's a thick book on baptism and um, infant baptism specifically. He says, I cannot understand Hebrews 6 and how people have walked away from the church without infant baptism. These are those who shared in the heavenly gift. They were in the covenant of God, and then they grew up and walked away. What's the name of the book? A Word, Water, Spirit by J.V. Fesco. You cannot understand that passage because, you know, we believe once saved, always saved. Then how come those who tasted the heavenly gift, how can you taste the heavenly gift without being saved? Well, you can taste it if you were raised in the church. If you were coming to the church as a child and tasted the heavenly gift, it's another way of saying you were baptized, sealed with the Father, with, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on your forehead. And yet, you still walked away. There was that blessing. That is a blessing. Baptism is a blessing. And they still walked away. So, just a little insight there. There is something that the church is to do until Christ returns, and that is to gather. You can't do church at home in your PJs or on your couch. You can watch other people at church, but that doesn't mean you were at church. This is, uh, this is the major difference between the Reformed, all Reformed, traditionally, going back to the Reformation, going back even to Martin Luther, and the modern-day American Evangelical Church. The Reformed Church has always placed an emphasis on the Christian Sabbath and the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day. While people, normal people, right, are working during the week in their various vocations. If you have a full-time job, uh, and you're caring for your family, that is your spiritual duty. Ephesians 5 and 6. Caring, you're loving your wife, you're loving, that is your spiritual duty. Right? Don't feel bad. When you say, man, I want to be involved in this church activity, but I got all this. That is your spiritual duty. Paul says it. Fathers, love your wives. 
I mean, husbands love your wives. Fathers love your children, right? That, that's your spiritual duty. And so, you know, but in American evangelicalism, I remember when I was, um, I felt the call to be a pastor. I was involved in youth ministry at a, at a Baptist church. And um, I was involved in youth ministry, which was a lot of, kind of, a lot of work. I was, you know, 10, 15 hours a week. That's a lot. I had just got married. And I was going to school full-time. Uh, Liberty University Online uh, for two years, right? And, and I <laughs> was working full-time as a, as, a, as a subpoena summons clerk at uh, Citizens Bank. And, man, you could imagine how busy I was. I didn't talk to my wife. Yeah, we, we had just gotten married. I, so I went to the pastor. I said, hey, I can't do youth ministry anymore. I, I can't do it. Uh, he said in a way, he was disagreeable. He said, no, uh, I, I think you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Once you leave the ministry, you'll never come back. Or, or, you know, or something along the lines, it's not, it's not going to be good for you spiritually. And I said, okay, well, I had to listen to things. And you know, I was convinced from the Reformed faith that I was doing my spiritual duty already. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect as a husband. I'm not perfect as, a, you know, somebody who works as citizens back. I have areas to grow, but I'm already doing my spiritual duty. This ministry, I can't do. I'm doing ministry already. Now, it is to be distinguished between what pastors do. But, but at the time, I, you know, it, it was kind of legalistic. So American evangelicalism, since uh, I would say the first great awakening... Do, do you guys have more time? Because I already went past my limit. I, I want to ask you, do, do you have more time? How much more time? I got to ask permission. 9 a.m. Monday morning. 9 a.m. So I can go on until tomorrow. I'm good. Okay. All right. You're good. All right. So I'll keep going. So uh, American evangelicalism, since the first great awakening, has replaced the idea of the necessity of the church gathering with the necessity of a, being a during the week Christian. Right? Meaning, it doesn't matter what you do on Sundays as long as you live as a, as a Christian during the week. What they meant by that behind the scenes, they wouldn't confess it, but what they meant by it is political activism. You need to join our movement. If you're not joining our movement, you're not really a Christian. We see this today. Um, uh, uh, in examples, temperance movement, Prohibition, um, all these things. Uh, there's that famous saying that revivalist preachers used to say, you can't be a Sunday-only Christian. Who do you think they were targeting? Especially during the Great Awakening, I think uh, many of the ministers had problems with subscribing to a confession of faith and subscribing to what that means for a church, uh, 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 an individual Christian becoming a member of a church and devoting themselves and submitting to authority in the church. Th- those were all problems that revivalist preachers had during those times. Now, good things came out of the First Great Awakening, but we must recognize the bad things. What it has led to now in American evangelicalism is that the church is, that's, a, that's an afterthought. Right? Becoming a member, I, I just go to church. And, you know, I'm not a Sunday-only Christian. I do all this stuff during the week. Again, the problem historically 
if you really go into the history of the First Great Awakening and on, is that no minister was saying uh, that we are to be Christians only on Sundays. We just made a distinction between the gathering together for worship and doing everything else during the week. Right? To the glory of God. What reformed Christians, and that's who were, were, it was reformed, Presbyterian and Anglican Christians who were being attacked, what reformed Christians were saying is that the Christian week is always looking forward to Sunday. Right? The Christian week is always looking forward to Sunday. The ministers work. I mean, there's day-to-day troubles all the time, right? There's day-to-day, you may need counseling suddenly, I'm there, you know. Uh, I'm not saying I don't do any of that stuff. What I'm saying is, the minister's work during the week is always looking forward to Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all surrounding Sunday, right? And that's the same for the Christian life. We're looking for that, uh, what is the old spiritual, the great getting up morning, right? The, 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 the great Sunday morning that's coming. When Jesus returns and takes us into the eternal Sabbath rest. Sundays are just a rehearsal of what we will do on that great and glorious day. Why? Because we were created to gather and worship God. Some people say I can worship God while I'm fishing. Or while I'm working. Right? I'm worshiping God by doing this to His glory. There is, now we, that's where we make distinctions. You can do these things worshipful to His glory, but it is different than gathering for worship. Something else is happening when we worship. Worship is something set apart in Scripture. But what uh, modern evangelicals say is that you can be saved out, outside of the church gathering, And live individual Christian lives and never meet another Christian. And it wouldn't matter. Because now we're free. And we worship all the time. And everything we do is worship. Everything we do is worship. That's the new. I mean you talk to some Christians out there. Everything we do is worship. No it's not. No it's not. Riding a tractor is not worship. It's not the same. Right? Uh... And again, I'm heavily critical, but on the Wednesday teaching classes, I've been saying, you know, the Me, Jesus, and My Bible movement. That happened right after the second Great Awakening. It was bigger. But it was already starting after the first, right? It was already starting. We don't need confessions. We don't even need church authority. Who's a pastor to preach to us, you know? That that was really going, going, and now all of the revivalist churches, where are they now? New England is dead. Dead. And it's, it's from this mentality. Worship is something set apart in Scripture. Worship is something set apart in Scripture. But what evangelicals say is that you can be saved, like I said, outside of the church and never, never meet a, another Christian and be fine. You, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to be around other Christians. You know you're a Christian. You're an individual believer. That's all you need. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Now I know where they get this idea. And I'm coming back to what I spoke to earlier about. Martin Luther. Questioned the Roman Catholic Church. Whether or not someone can be saved. Outside of the church. In an extraordinary way. Because Rome was making. The sacraments. 
necessary for salvation across the board. And so you couldn't be saved outside of partaking in the sacraments. Well, like I said earlier, what about the thief on the cross? Right? What about the thief on the cross? But that occasion was extraordinary. That, that was an extraordinary occasion. And it does happen. But Martin Luther, if you continue to read his writings from that point on, was not at all implying that you can be a believer, be saved outside of the church, meaning, and stay, and stay outside of the church. Never consider other Christians or the gathering and still be considered a Christian. Now, this, you know, God knows what's in man. I am not the judge of any soul. But to me, as a minister, how do I know you're a believer? How am I going to feed you? How, how am I going to best serve you if you're not a member? Um, the membership is the, the visible expression that you actually believe what you believe. You actually believe what the Bible says about it. Um, and, um, and I believe it is necessary for spiritual growth and encouragement. So Luther wasn't at all saying that the gathering of the saints is not necessary. That's not what he was saying. That's not where he went. I know that's what it developed into. Uh, that's what it's developed into many Christians' minds today. Um, because we need to remember, he doesn't just save me. He saves us. And if we are considering our brothers and sisters, you know, how, how can we long for heaven without longing, not only for Jesus, but also for the gathering of the saints in heaven? Because that is who we will be with for eternity. If we don't care for him now, how do we know we are even heaven born? If you don't desire the little church, right, the little church here in this world, how do we know, you know, we desire the big church? It's going to be even bigger. It's going to be with people we probably didn't like, right? Um, in one way, and we notice from 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 11, one way of confirming that we are actually Christians is found in how we treat each other in the church. According to 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. And I think I've already answered this question. When do we gather? We, we, we see a focus on gathering on the Lord's Day or the Sabbath in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the, uh, the church gathered on Saturdays, the sixth day of the week. Uh, in the New Testament, we gather on Sundays, the first day of the week, in remembrance of the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As it says in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread. When we gathered, right? Not if or, you know, possibility of gathering. And 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Speaking of offering, right? Already giving one of the elements of worship, offering. Um, and, you know, some people say, well, you know, first day of the week, that, you know, that's a constant team. You know, he came and uh, changed the calendar year and this, that, and the other. And, you know, Sundays is actually a pagan uh, day, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, actually, that's not the case. You talk to any uh, Jew who knows his history, he'll tell you that the Sabbath day was all, always on Saturdays. Believe me, they kept track. They, they are ancient people. They kept track, and that, that was passed down. So when the Bible says first day of, week, day of the week, it is our Sunday. Constantine didn't make it up. <laughs> uh, always, you know, you've got you to gotta, um, fight those weird conspiracy theories. There's so many of them, and it's so weird. 
And, and it, but it all stems from this um, free from membership Christianity. It's really, really sad because not a, it has affected the church. You know, so I'm going to stop there. I only got through one question. So we will continue. Um, uh, the question, uh, question, the second question is the church and institution. That usually rubs people the wrong way, but we'll get there. Um, a- any questions for me? Any discussion, item of discussion that you're thinking of? No? All right. Um, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You were thorough. You covered it well. Okay, in this just introduction, now, now go, if we go on 